0: Welcome to UCLA Extension's Business Insights with Roger Ternaden, where we highlight hot topics and underlying economic trends useful to you.
1: Over the past month or so, several listeners have asked for our evaluation of the continuation of the work from home that COVID has basically inspired and forced upon most of the world. We're really happy to do that. We will devote most of today's podcast to that subject. Starting with the question, is work from home the new normal? A year into the pandemic, office utilization in major U.S. cities remains a fraction of pre-pandemic levels, with coastal cities facing a particularly slow recovery. The reopening scenarios around the country have created a small amount of relief, but operating uncertainties revenue losses this past year and cash flow sufficiency continues to plague the real estate industry as the industry was built for much more occupancy of offices relating to large gatherings, actually including hotels and conference centers. Later in today's session, we'll comment on the industry specifically if you have a potential interest in diversifying your own investments into the real estate industry. In certain segments of that industry, that could be a very good idea. Interest rates are low, not as low as they were a couple of months ago, but they're still historically low. Capital at least is theoretically available from banks, however, the larger real estate companies and the real estate investment trusts will be the primary beneficiaries of that capital availability. I'm speaking of in addition to residential housing, which we've been commenting on all along as a beneficiary, not only of the past year, but probably the next few years since real estate has not been overbuilt as it was in the prior 0809 09 Great Recession. Our focus in the latter part of the program is on real estate investment trusts, the REITs, And these are companies that own and operate office properties, hotel properties, conference facilities, multifamily apartment complexes, and so on. So we're going to focus on REITs, and we're going to focus particularly on the office REITs that are still in a pretty precarious position. Survey data does indicate that workplace flexibility has gained substantial popularity among both employees and executives. While the office is not going away, corporations are proceeding to scale back their real estate footprints. The permanence of working-from-home trends and the ultimate recovery in office demand will be uneven across the United States. Commute times play a major role determining how fast and to what extent employees return to offices, but there's another important element. The downsizing of the workforce we can expect based upon remote experiences, including increased productivity of many of those adapting well to work from home. Dense coastal office markets with brutal transit heavy commutes will lead change in the new normal. The good news for some office investments, we see value in Sunbelt and suburban-focused office REITs, which are poised for a faster and more sustainable recovery. We provide links on our SoundCloud page to free resources for those who want more depth of analysis, including a link to the REIT Forum, as well as links to Hoya Capital Real Estate, which shares a lot of research on the industry. Castle Systems, Price Waterhouse, and KMPG surveys. The links are posted on the SoundCloud page for today's podcast. Is work from home the new normal? A year into the pandemic, office utilization in major U.S. cities remains a fraction of pre pandemic levels, with coastal cities facing a particularly slow recovery. For example, within the Hoya Capital Office REIT Index, resides the 26 office REITs, which account for roughly $85 billion in market value. Survey data and commentary from corporations indicate that the work-from-home era is likely here to stay long after the pandemic subsides, as technology companies, including Zoom, Slack, Google, Microsoft and Amazon have emerged to support work from home at the expense of the traditional office space model. According to data from Castle Systems that's K A S T L E Castle Systems again the link is on our SoundCloud page. Office utilization levels have not meaningfully recovered over the past six months in the largest U.S. cities, and they name, in particular, their shutdown cities as New York, Chicago, Washington, D.C., and San Francisco. And these cities have been hit especially hard with office usage rates still below 20%. And if you do go to the link on the Castle Systems account, you can actually see that Dallas, for example, is running the first part of March, 70% below what was a normal level in 2019 or January of 2020. Los Angeles is off almost 80% from a so-called normal level. Philadelphia about the same. The top 10 metropolitan areas are down about still about 80%. New York is down close to 90% with San Francisco. This data is as of the first week in March of this year. So the recovery has pretty much been non-existent with the uh, progress made, particularly in the past several months after the vaccinations have begun. Office REITs focus primarily on the higher quality buildings, owning nearly a quarter of all Class A office buildings in the United States. This sector is segmented into two categories. The urban central business district, REITs hold portfolios that are concentrated in the six largest U.S. cities. And this segment, as we just mentioned, has been hard hit, especially during the pandemic, without much of a history of recent recovery. The second category is the secondary suburban REITs, which have generally outperformed in the stock market in 2020 and into 2021, and they hold portfolios concentrated in the Sunbelt regions or in the secondary markets. The bottom line is that for your personal long-term investments, you should comb through the secondary suburban REITs to meet part of your real investment appetite for the long run. Again, this is to the degree that you wish to diversify into the commercial real estate sector and avoiding as much as possible the additional risk with a very slow return to work with those companies that own office properties. With interest rates low, For years, these companies have likely financed or refinanced their properties at terrific rates, and they may stand to benefit by employee movements to less dense, smaller, more commutable, medium-sized city environments. If you want a feel for the overall size of the REIT market, you may wish to know that the U.S. commercial real estate market is about $20 trillion in size. That's a little bit larger than the U.S. residential market. And the office REITs are about 10% of the REITs that have major positions in this major real estate market. If you go to one of the links, which is a Hoya Capital link, Hoya presents some great statistics. These are free. Everything I'm suggesting to you is free, with some of the resources having more details or more services available for cost, but I'm just providing links for the free services. We believe that the permanence of work-from-home trends and the ultimate recovery in office demand will be quite uneven as mentioned, but consider there is more to the story of urban versus suburban, how fast and to what extent employees return, and one key variable is employee commute times. For example, data from the Census Bureau's American Community Survey show that over the course of a typical five-day work week, remote work employees in cities with particularly brutal commutes save an average of six hours per week and $100 in transportation costs, including parking fees. It's no surprise that recent survey data indicates that workplace flexibility is quite popular among both employees and executives. A recent Price Waterhouse survey, and the link is again on the SoundCloud page, shows that the opinion of remote work has actually increased since early in the pandemic quite substantially, and now approximately 83% of employers now say the shift to remote work has been successful for their company. That's not to say that the office is going away. It's not but corporations do expect to materially scale back their real estate footprints. And that's in lieu or in light of 87% of employees say the office is important for collaborating with team members and building relationships, but fewer than one in five executives say they want to return to the office as it was pre-pandemic. Importantly, work-from-home related efficiencies are generally met, with gratitude rather than contempt toward the employer, as well as improved productivity, according to the recent KEMG survey linked. While there are negative side effects of entirely remote working, particularly for roles that require a higher degree of collaboration, the survey found that 74% of respondents who were working remotely as a result of the pandemic reported having an overall better work-life balance. Only a third of the respondents expressed a desire to return to the typical five-day work week. And the links do provide some of the basic data for what I just mentioned. Workers in the survey just mentioned, 25% prefer to be mostly in the office and about a third, actually 36% prefer fully in the office but 74% of all the survey respondents has actually given the remote working environment credit for a better work-life balance. That's 74%. Let's focus a little closer on the office REITs, the Office Real Estate Investment Trusts, and we'll move to where you can get additional thoughts and data on potential investments, again, for those who wish to diversify some of their savings into the commercial real estate marketplace, particularly in the REIT areas. I do encourage you to Google real estate investment trusts. There's a wealth of information, and these securities are typically traded on the New York Stock Exchange. They're major companies. They are required to pay, I believe it's 90% of their income to shareholders as a dividend to maintain their REIT status. Some of these companies are owners of large shopping centers. Some are owners of many of the apartment complexes. So you can find the segment of the, the real estate industry that you really like or prefer. And you can also sort the REITs by geography. So it's possible to find REITs that focus in the suburban markets and own large apartment complexes. You can focus it pretty much any way you want. I personally am staying away from investing uh, at this point in time in the office REITs, but the uh, apartment REITs in the suburban markets, which I mentioned a couple of podcasts ago, could be very attractive. Again, given that they already have their financing in place and given that there are serious movements from the center cities into the suburban areas and particularly the smaller cities. So this could fit the bill for you and these investments would be highly liquid as they trade like stocks. You can buy and sell anytime during the market day and many of these have very large volumes, a large amount of liquidity. In my view, it's a very attractive investment alternative. And anyway, back to the office REITs. They were really pummeled early in the pandemic, and they continue to be pressured by lingering questions over the long-term demand outlook as businesses become more comfortable with the expanded utilization of work-from-home arrangements. Office REITs pre-pandemic were really hitting their stride, and they actually began to look more attractive, again, pre-pandemic, following a decade of kind of middling performance. They were pretty much powered by a seemingly unstoppable streak of job growth. That's come to an end, at least for a while. The office REIT sector tends to outperform later in the economic cycle and respond more slowly to economic inflection points, given the typical long-term lease structure inherent in office leases. And these leases typically average five to 10 years for suburban assets and 10 to 20-year leases for central business district assets. The same-store net operating income growth for office REITs was actually negative in 2020, as you might expect, but it wasn't quite as negative, frankly, as, as I expected. However, there's virtually no discernible recovery, as I mentioned before. Another issue facing the office REITs is, is that there was a substantial amount of new office building that started back in 2019, was committed in 2020, and a lot of construction did proceed through pretty much most of COVID. So a lot of new space is coming on the market at a time when companies are preparing to cut back their real estate footprints. So this is going to be kind of uh, depressed, in my view, for the next few years. Even in the best of times, office ownership is a tough capital-intensive business with relatively low operating margins and very high investment needs, as tenants tend to have quite a bit of negotiating power relative to landlords, particularly given the ample available supply now and even more with it over the next year. And this supply overhang well could linger for much of the next decade, may not be just a few years. Given the high degree of fixed costs incurred in managing an office property, whether fully occupied or mostly vacant, operating leverage is quite high. In other words, a few more leases account for a much higher amount of profit. And on the other hand, a few less leases or lease cancellations or non-renewals eat into the profit pretty substantially. And that's kind of what I mean by using the term operating leverage. In total, small changes in occupancy and market fundamentals have a magnified negative impact on the net operating income. But within the office REITs, there are, as you would suspect, segments. And some of these segments have very low net operating income, even in the best of times. And those include hotels, malls, the major malls have low operating net income as a percentage of revenue. The office space we've been referring to is on the low side. And you might ask what's on the high side. Well, the apartment complexes, the REITs that own cell towers particularly with 5G being rolled out and newly renovated cell towers basically moving across the country. The cell tower investments, in my view, are going to likely be more important, maybe more profitable. Additionally, the self-storage market traditionally has high margins. That seems to be in a pretty healthy mode. And finally, the highest margins are the REITs that actually own some of the casinos. That's not an area that I'm wanting to invest in, but it's something that anyone considering commercial real estate should probably look at. More than other REIT sectors, office REITs have a relatively small roster of tenants. For example, in retail, JCPenney, the Gap, and some of the large chains account for a significant part of the rental income in a number of the malls. And the malls are, as I mentioned, a low return on investment business. So losing some of these large anchor tenants, which has happened and continues to happen, is a serious risk. In addition to the retail side, but we were talking about office, office REITs have a relatively small roster of tenants like the retailers. And given the significant supply overhang from the combination of weak demand and continued supply growth, landlords will have less and less of an ability to price or to get the rent that they want or need. The occupancy rates in major sectors are an important consideration, and for the office owners, the percent of occupancy has been dropping steadily during the COVID period and appears to be continuing that drop, while the retail occupancy rates are looking to have at least stabilized for the short term. The industrial occupancy rates have been higher than retail and higher than office, and they continue to be pretty strong, as does the overall REIT average because of the mix of these sectors. As construction spending on office development ramped up after the 2016 elections, and some of that investment was spurred by the passage of corporate tax reform, that pickup in development has put a lot of office projects in the pipeline, and that pipeline increased to a new cycle high in late 2019, right before the start of the pandemic. And supply growth is averaged itself, even during the pandemic, more than 1.5% a year. So the office development pipeline stands at roughly $15 billion, which is up pretty sharply from 2012 after the Great Recession. The 2012 level was only $2 billion in the development pipeline. And as I mentioned, for 2017, it was close to $15 billion. So we're seeing a lot of increases in space dialed in right now. Ground-up development has been the lone source of external growth for the office or EITs over the past half decade. As accretive acquisitions, in other words, one company buying another, one real estate company buying another company, has been made quite difficult by the persistent valuation discounts. And these discounts persist as the value of commercial real estate continues to be under pressure for reasons that we just mentioned. It's pretty likely in the viewpoint of the references that you can look at, that the office valuations in the urban central business district markets will continue lower by maybe another 10 to 15 percent over the next decade. So that's not a very attractive place, in my view, for new money, particularly retirement funds. And rents, obviously in light of a lot of footprint reducing real estate decisions by organizations are likely to continue dropping one salvation at least up until the pandemic has been the co-working spaces and you know we all remember the past year or so with WeWork. And WeWork effectively went into bankruptcy. Lenders who lent WeWork over $20 billion basically lost the value of their loans. And WeWork has recently been bought by one of the SPAC companies and will be coming back into life. Doesn't mean it's a good investment for the small shareholder. The SPAC likely has the anticipation that they will IPO WeWork one more time or they'll try to and do it. The next time. But over the past few years, the space for co-working has actually been a positive despite the issues of, of WeWork, and that's probably going to continue. It's not going to continue to the degree it would interest me in investing in it, but it'll probably continue. Office REITs have not been a traditionally a sector known for high dividend yield, but Office REITs now rank toward the top of the REIT sector paying an average yield of 3.8%, which is pretty good versus U.S. Treasury bonds. Of course, there's risk, which is pretty good compared to bank CDs, certificates of deposit. Granted, the REITs have more risk, but by looking within the segments and looking within the geography, it may be quite possible to mitigate that risk and benefit from relatively high dividend payments. Over the past year, there was a pace uh, of dividend cuts, but that's largely reversed recently. And there were a number of REITs that actually, what I would say, hung tough in 2020. In other words, they kept their dividend, but they were not making a large profit, but they continued the dividend. And some of those REITs may be in a very credible position now. I'm not going to go into the names. That's really not the purpose. We're not giving investment advice. But the new normal... We do believe COVID-19 has simply accelerated rather than altered the pre-existing trends of increased workplace efficiency at technology disruption. And this is happening in a way that's not totally unlikely or different than the e-commerce disruption to the brick-and-mortar retail formats seen throughout the past 10 years. We are not wildly optimistic overall about office REITs, au contraire, but due to a number of structural headwinds, we do see some potential interesting stock market or REIT investments in the Sunbelt and suburban-focused REITs, and those would likely be less impacted by the work-from-home headwinds. Just as a background, we looked at the past 30 years of US office space per employee, and going back into 1990, it was approximately 200 square feet per employee. Going into the dot-com bust and the emergence of dot-coms simultaneously, The office space per employee dropped to about 175 feet and moving up until the 2008-2009 Great Recession it went all the way back up, again, close to 200. And after that Great Recession, it's been in a steady decline, particularly in the past few years, it looks as though we've taken a new decline. From 2010 to about 2018, and this is actual data. The office space per employee has dropped from about 200 square feet to about 180. It's expected that that 180 will drop down into the 160s, the low 160s. So this this is a major trend. It's just probably not to be denied and to be considered in investing in this industry. As work from home does become the norm, the office sector's loss will continue to be the housing market's gain as households look for more living space and dedicated home offices to adapt and thrive in the new normal. At this point, I'd like to remind our loyal listeners that we are reoffering a free course that is intended to help you better understand U.S. panics, recessions, depressions, and recoveries in the context of our U.S. history. This may be the final time we're offering the class. We're going to be offering it in the second week of April. So if you go to www.uclaextension, one word, .edu, just scroll down to UCLAX Open, then click on the 2020 Panic course and register for free. Again, a reminder that a lot of the data and links are much more than we could include in a podcast, so I'm making them available on links that you can use on our podcast site. So take care, be safe, and be careful investment-wise.
0: Be sure to email us at rtornadin at uclaextension.edu on more specific questions, which we will answer either personally or select as part of our future podcast. Hosted by Business and Legal Programs Director, Roger Tornadin. This podcast is presented by UCLA Extension and produced by Jamie Moss at Studio 10960. These podcasts are made for educational purposes and are not financial advice. The goal is to educate and provide resources on focused economic and job trends with the latest support research so that you can make more informed financial and career decisions that best suit your personal needs. UCLA Extension offers more than 5,000 online and in-classroom courses taught by over 2,000 leading practitioners to help you get from here to there. For more information on this podcast or our financial and legal programs, please check us out at www.uclaextension.edu. We know it's about your life, not just your money.